Welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. He's coming to us from poolside at the UT Faculty Club, while she's at her tasteful country estate in the Cotswolds. Today we're honoring World Toilet Day, November 19th, so we're just a few months late. Are toilets found by archaeologists? What does it mean if toilets aren't found? And are the very few stone toilets found in the Iron Age Southern Levant simply another kind of throne? Let's go to the lightning round. What's the most memorable toilet you've encountered? Well, one of my most memorable toilets was in the Western Chinese city of Kashgar, which is a Uyghur city. And they, we spent a, I spent a week there and there's this place that served a breakfast entity that was very similar to a bagel. And they had a soft cheese that was very similar to cream cheese and they had put tomatoes on it. So it was, I was in Western China eating a bagel and cream cheese. I had to go to the bathroom. I made it understood. This guy, and this place was very correct looking, very nice place, outdoor cafe, had a little indoor area, crowded. He takes me to the back and there is a huge pit. <laughs> and that was it. And I turned around and I went out front and I said, I didn't really need to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that pit to this day. It was a complete okay. sensory experience in every way. Wow. I was not anticipating this question, so I don't really have an answer. Um, except maybe, you know, uh, feel. Well, I'll, I'll give you my answer. I'll go. Yeah, field where? Oh, oh field, uh, archaeological field porta potties. Um, that's probably as, as yeah. I'll, I'll go to the other extreme. Um, it was, I, I think it was called the Great Barrington Hotel in, <laughs> in London. And the bathroom there was the size of basically um, our entire house. And it had those nice towel warmer things and, and on the walls and the toilet was up on a kind of pedestal and it was, it was extremely, extremely grand. And I, I forget how we got this hotel. It was like, we got it at the airport and went there, you know, some sort of deal, $38 a night for, you know, a place that should have gone for, you know, 400. So, so really it's from, it's from soup to nuts, our, our example. But we should, we should you know, remind our listener that, uh, that this is 
well, we're doing this in honor of National Toilet Day, which was November 19th. And um, even though it's January. So, yeah, it's been we've been busy. It's, right. uh, you know, there's been, a lot, there's been a lot going on. We had we had to go <laughs> uh, in the meantime. But uh, but the, the real question is, do toilets get enough attention from archaeologists, both uh, practically in the field? Do we know it when we see it? Um, and conceptually, and uh, you know the whole the whole question, or is this a, an area that people are too too squeamish about, too sensitive about? They see this, they see the implications, and they walk away. <laughs> well, I think it's all just dependent on on finding something that you can you know really make make the proper inference that this is indeed a toilet. So I think that we're all always pretty interested in how settlements operate, drainage systems, sanitary systems, you know, plumbing systems. I think we're, there is an innate interest in that. There's just very, very little data. When you have the data, I think everyone is more than willing to, to you know, jump in. And in the case of, uh, of, of our uh, focal point today, Lachish and City of David, uh, there's certainly a lot to go on. Um, but I think we all wonder how these cities function. And then when you compare them to Roman cities in which these kinds of things are very clear, sanitary uh, systems are clear, or when you compare well, them even, to- Even Mesopotamian and Egyptian cities. Right. They, or, they had water flowing every which way, flushing. Right. In this valley cities, Mohenjo-Daro right. and Harappa, they have extraordinary um, you know, plumbing systems. Uh, in which there's very little guesswork. It's all very, very clear That's as to, interesting. <laughs> as so, to what's, what's going in and what's going out. <laughs> so I'm a little squeamish about this topic and I can't quite believe we're talking about this, but- uh, It was your idea. It was not my idea. It was JP's yeah, idea. It was. No, it was JP's idea. <laughs> no, I'm gonna show you the- anyway. <laughs> No, it was my idea, Alex. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> So whatever, oh. whatever you're showing, <laughs> it's fake data. My dander is up. However, once once I started to think about this and we started to read about this, and before we even get to the Lachish toilet and the Jerusalem toilet, um, so what what struck me is, so you know, as archaeologists, we're always looking at pottery and deciding things about pottery, either sherds or whole pots, and one of the things that's kind of the most basic is, you know, what was this for? What was this form used for? Like, you know, an open form would contain grains and a closed form would contain liquids. So once I started to think about toilets, I started to have a whole different um, internal discussion, shall we say, about um, open forms and what they might've been used for. So- Right, well, and that's, that's a good observation because when I was reading through just a little bit on later systems, but, you know, Roman Byzantine, um, the chamber pot is a very important part of the, of the domestic assemblage. Right. And I too thought exactly that. I thought, how many pots have we handled that <laughs> were, you know, <laughs> originally <laughs> filled with God knows what? Well, we, we know exactly what. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, I think I agree. I agree that that uh, that we need to think about some of these forms as being chamber pots, because clearly 
four toilet seats over the span of the Bronze and Iron Ages is not really going to satisfy the population. Exactly. <laughs> long, very, very, very long be longer than at Bonnaroo. I mean, it would just be horrible. <laughs> so. And you think about like any any 19th century historical reconstruction where the chamber pot is always just lurking right under the fancy bed um, right. in the upper class houses, never mind, you know, the downstairs part of the upper class houses. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then the other other thing about this is, you know, you're you're not necessarily creating a pot that is you might be specifically for use as a chamber pot, but you might be simply taking your crater that was in use for at least 10 years and is breaking down a little bit and you're using that. So right. Or let's face it, if in an emergency you're using whatever you can get. <laughs> I mean, you know, God knows how many, how many uh, you know, nicely slipped and burnished vessels were ruined because of because of someone having, you know, a spicy dinner. <laughs> Or worse yet, what if it wasn't ruined? What if it was just washed out and uh, <laughs> put back in the kitchen? <laughs> we right. can determine that now from, from DNA analysis, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the, less, the less nicely slipped and burnished, the more would remain, I would assume, the more porous. Right. The metal, the hey, more. maybe that's the reason for the slip and burnish. Ooh. <laughs> You know, it we may, think it's it may, decoration, but you know, it may explain the changes in in the the, the shape of rims. Also, I can't say <laughs> that. <laughs> oh my god! Thing over, man. <laughs> I mean, if we look at bedpans, I think bedpans have a pretty consistent, you know, yeah. typology over time. But um, I think I think we're on to a whole new aspect of the ceramic assemblage. I think you like e everted rims versus inverted rims. I think there's, you know, yeah. issues of spillage that we haven't considered previously. Always spill there's always spillage. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a little, especially the older you get. I will say that, you know, with the kind of clothing that they probably had, you know, yeah. it was a little easier. Hiking than, and hiking yeah. and Aiming. Yeah. Well, well also, you know, there's also I, as the as the female in this little triumvirate, I should say there are different concerns for women than for men. Um, of course. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get back to that. <laughs> right. But as we all get older, I think those concerns diminish. <laughs> I think everyone is just is just having a seat and hoping that everything comes out okay. Well, I, I, I encourage one of you two to uh, write a very large grant application for some experimental archaeology, and we'll go out and hire some potters, and you know your your human experimentation boards can can read these read these uh, you know projects in astonishment. You know, you want to do what? Right. But, uh, but it's only the stone. It's only the stone ones. But we know uh, from other societies, and you know, obviously, we watch a lot of these Alaska homesteading shows. Oh, we days. do a lot of them. Um, so that these things are made of these things are made of wood, in in mo mo most parts of the world. So we're dealing with you know non-preserved materials. Right. In other words, even if they're not just using the whole mouth pot from the kitchen, um, they're, they're, they, they could be having toilets that are made of less than stone. Right. Right. And that, and that, yeah, right. And that speaks to a couple of really interesting things. One is, is that obviously at the elite level, the elites had a very clear expectation of where they were going to 
you know, where you they were going to uh, take care of business. And that was on a nice, well-made, well-hewn stone, um, stone toilet seat. Uh, and I wonder if there were craftspeople who specialized in just making that. Well, I was thinking that the people, and we all worked at McNay, that the people who made the olive press installations, <laughs> that those olive press installations are not all that dissimilar to the toilets. And they all date from the same time period, which I thought was another very interesting thing. All of these toilets from the Bronze and Iron Ages are basically from you know the, the eighth to seventh or eighth to sixth centuries. I think there were a couple examples cited of earlier ones. One at Tel El Ajul, there is a pierced stone, but honestly, who the heck knows what that was? The one at Bucera's eighth, seventh century. So that, that also might be interesting. Maybe up until the eighth century, they were, they were using wood or they were, you know, had something else. But clearly in the eighth, seventh centuries, these very well-made elite stone uh, toilets were, were an expectation. And I think, that, uh, I think that these stone carving emporia were, were able to knock off both uh, olive press installations <laughs> and uh, toilets. So how many, how many of the olive oil presses that you've dug up do you think actually weren't being used as olive oil presses? Well, the, I would hope, I don't even, I would hope, I would hope that that, I mean, on the other hand, at Mickney, there were over 110 olive press installations. So to think of this huge industry without a restroom, maybe some of them were, were, were bathrooms. I mean, you know. Why not? Yeah, well. I like know. to think of these craftsmen um, going around in the off season and, you know, taking measurements. <laughs> you know, here, let, me, let me get a, a width and a height on that. And we'll, we'll get back to you next season with your, with your stone toilet. Right. But of course, you know, the, the whole idea of, of elites um, conducting business while they're conducting business, that's, the whole, that's yeah. the whole essence of the whole privy council kind of Ooh. thing. But I, and in here, there is another, I think, distinction in that, that is, these are one seaters. So I don't think right. there was a lot of business. It wasn't like these Roman uh, toilets in which you had, you know, <laughs> 20 or 30 toilets all lined up against the wall and everybody was conducting business and all sorts of other things. I think, I think this is a very, you know, I think there are some things that are pretty clear, which is that there are only a couple of these because at some place like City of David, they found four. Okay. So clearly that's enough to say, this is, you know, this is a, a toilet fit for, <laughs> fit for the house of David. <laughs> On the other hand, it's not 50. Right. So it's not like there's a lot of them. It's only, you know, a very small number and they're all found in different areas, which isn't to say they all, all weren't used in one place and got disturbed, got displaced. But these are big, heavy stones that were pretty right. icky. Right. So I would think they probably were, you know, wherever archaeologists find them is probably close to where they were being used. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also think, you know, there's, so first of all, the king himself, but also maybe other members of the court had their own private places, or maybe the king walked around from place to place and had needs wherever he went. <laughs> right. 
But, right. but one thing um, in terms of doing business on the toilet, some of the stuff I was reading um, in preparation for this uh, talked about as late as the Middle Ages, people literally doing business, elites doing business on the toilet. And then what always comes to mind for me is, is you guys know the story of um, Eglon, king of Moab from the Bible? Oh my Enlighten God. us. What? Enlighten us. <laughs> And okay, I'll, it's it's my favorite story. And the first time I heard it was in the fourth grade, and it's stuck in my mind. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So Eglon, king of Moab, he's an enemy of the Israelites. So so um, this guy Ehud comes to kill him, and he comes to kill him while he is in the bathroom. It's called the upper chamber, but it's always interpreted as the bathroom. And um, and uh, it, it, the story of the murder is itself a whole cool thing, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but then, um, so he leaves him there, and uh, after he stabs him and he dies, and then the the I guess officers or, or you know whatever uh, come to see what why the king isn't coming out, and um, they say, oh, he's in the bathroom, and then finally they discover him sitting dead on on his chair and uh, <laughs> on his seat rather. And um, that's, that gives the, the stabber time to get away. So that's a bathroom story, which shows that, oh, and what I didn't say is I think the most important part, um, the stabber requested an audience with the king and he was let into the chamber where the oh, king was okay. doing his business. That, that was the point that I didn't say, yeah. So this is, in other words, Game of Thrones got Tywin Lannister's death right from the Hebrew Bible. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but yeah, sure. Well, Tywin Lannister, Ended up with a with a crossbow bolt <laughs> while he was while he was doing business, I believe. Okay, so that's that originates with with the Bible. Right. Um, so that's my favorite biblical bathroom story. I think it's the only biblical bathroom story that I know. No, there's another one. There's a there's this little uh, there's this little reference to a shrine uh, a shrine of Baal at Samaria. Samaria being uh, turned into a latrine. Oh. Right. And, oh. and that's what uh, the um, excavators at Lachish use as a, as a biblical parallel for the circumstances that they found the toilet at Lachish. Okay. So well, it's, there are a number of um, biblical references to toilets. And uh, if we go to later periods, obviously there's a ton of Mishnaic Talmudic references and uh, uh, Professor right. Jody Magnus, our good friend, has done extraordinary work on, on toilets at Qumran. Right. Uh, so there is so, a there is a field of study dedicated to dedicated to this. Right. <laughs> we're we're just uh, we're just uh, fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we can take we can take away two things from this. It seems to me that. One, if, if you're the king, you get not one, but two thrones on which to do business. <laughs> one public and one more private. Right. And, um, and the private one hasn't really gotten the same kind of attention as, as a place of business, so to speak. <laughs> do you think that's because, that's because scholars who like started doing stuff in the 19th century were too squeamish? Well, I think we probably don't have enough examples, okay. physical examples, to have really forced the question in a big way. Okay. But, but my, other, my other observation is that, uh, like today, um, there is this 
there, there is this kind of uh, dual conception of the toilet as a place of, of, of necessity and clean, you know, that's clean, it's wholesome. You sit there, you do your business, you're on your phone um, and, and so on. But it's also- I draw, I draw a boundary there. And, okay, well, that's a, and, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other question. But that in, in another context, if you pick up that unit or seat and take it out of its out of its context, it's it's insulting. So if you put it in a shrine, mm. that's the way to stick it to the you know Baal or Asherah or whomever. Or if you take it and you put it in in the gatehouse. That's a way of ritually de-sanctifying or, or insulting that place. And Desecrating. Desecrating. That's yeah. the word. And, and so, so let's, let's maybe um, what a great word. explain a little bit about the Lachish toilet, yep. which, is, um, which, is, which, was, uh, which was found uh, relatively recently and sort of ignited this whole re-interest in, uh, in ancient toilets. So at Lachish from uh, what was it, destruction, the destruction in Stratum 3. So in the Iron Age 2, they found a, uh, what is clearly a toilet uh, seat in a pit in a room that, uh, in the gate, in a room that was dedicated to uh, a double altar. And so the excavators uh, suggest that the, um, during Hezekiah's reforms, that this little cult shrine, this little gate shrine, was uh, destroyed, desecrated by uh, putting in a toilet seat. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you want to describe the toilet seat. Like, what does it look like? Like, how do they know it's a toilet? Well, I think, I think, I think, right. I think a picture is worth a thousand words here. I think that, that right. just looking at these things, and that's another very important point, looking at these examples of toilet seats from City of David or the uh, one at Lachish, I think it's, it's absolutely clear what they are. I mean, <laughs> so in other words, it's a big square piece of stone with a hole in the middle. With a keyhole shape. With a keyhole right. shape, right. With a keyhole shape to accommodate Oh, any any anatomy, <laughs> any and all anatomies. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been wondering about not to get too explicit here, but I've been wondering about the keyhole shape and female anatomy, and I'm wondering if that's actually the most useful thing for female anatomy. And 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 this is the other the other thing, like for everything from these these square hold things to Roman toilets. Um, you know. These were, I think, mainly for men. Honestly, I think they're mainly for men. Why, why, why should, uh, why should you know, people in the past have taken any more consideration towards the needs of women than, than they do today? Well, exactly. So, right, and also I think, yeah, you're probably right because they're, well, they're clearly so few they're for elite. Yeah. They're costly. The stone. The stone. Yeah, the stone yeah. ones. And so, yeah, they probably were by and large for men. Though one would hope <laughs> that, our, our David, ancestors. that David and Solomon, Solomon in particular, he had all these would have allowed his, <laughs> his squadrons of concubines. Right. He's there banging on the door. Are you coming out? Yeah, I'm really. already. <laughs> you know, when you think about it like this, God, the harem must have been just a horrible place. 
I had yeah. never really thought of it in terms of hygiene. Well, I was actually, I was just doing the Neolithic in my big survey class. And in this class of 240, a student actually asked a question, which was amazing in and of itself. And it was a good question. Uh, and, and it was about, you know, the sanitary conditions and, and plumbing in these, you know, big sites like Abu Herrera and the Shigli Huyuk and Chatel Huyuk. And I said, yes, whenever we think about the past, um, I don't think we think enough about how, how it smelled, yeah. also how it looked visually. Right. But um, yeah, these places probably really stank. And, right. and from a public health, uh, public health standpoint, um, infectious diseases and parasites and general right. nastiness. Right. Fortunately, fortunately for Abu Herrera, that problem was taken care of. <laughs> yeah, by the nano diamonds. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that was sanitization. sanitation. Right, and, and we, we certainly commend that method to all of our listeners. <laughs> but uh, in, the, in, in the City of David uh, examples, they did analysis of the material found underneath the toilet seats, and they, they found all of these parasites, whipworms, and all sorts of things. And, and one of the conclusions that the scholars came to was, was, you know, that the elite weren't in such good health and they had all of these parasites. And it's like, no, of course they had all of these parasites. <laughs> I mean, that's why the, you know, that's why people only live to the age of 40 or 50, right. maybe 60. But, but um, so I think that was, it's completely expected that they would have all of these, you know, parasites and maladies and everything else. Right. Um, but what was really interesting is that, the, that, that in some cases, the cesspit material is, is right there. Yeah. And it just needs to be vivified um, in right. order to understand what people were eating and what diseases people had. And that this is a very another very you know rich <laughs> rich database. It's a rich vein to be mined. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, someone else. So, so that was that another thought I had, sort of along with the um, you know open form bowls having a, a second purpose, um, was every time you find a pit in an archaeological context in a domestic context, I think we need to rethink it. Maybe it needs to. I'm sure some of these have been analyzed, but you know you have a a pit dug as sort of a, a cess pit system and uh, you may be throwing other stuff into it, but you're also using it for your daily needs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe it had a separation from the rest of the room it was in, maybe it didn't, maybe they didn't even care. And that's right. the other thing that we were, like I was reading about that at least in the middle ages, there was no obsession with privacy for bathing or for, for bathroom activities, right. which- right. I don't want to live in the middle yeah. age. I don't really want to live in antiquity for just these reasons. I don't think I would have yeah. lasted very long in antiquity. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's... <laughs> well, we're certainly learning about, a lot about you, Rachel. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all, all serious considerations. And, um, you know, just it, it speaks to how how... I don't want to say evolved. We are. <laughs> though, in, though in terms of, of uh, function and design, not so evolved. Right. We're it's pretty much the same. It's a pretty consistent. Uh, it's a pretty consistent uh, engineering, you know, feat for yeah. uh, a long period of time. And then until until the flush toilet, which was not all that long ago when it was invented, um, it's been pretty much the same. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting about the, the, 
the issue about pits, and, and that's a good point. And it, it also always strikes me, it's always very mysterioso when you're excavating, uh, you know, in the Bronze or Iron Age, and you're in some kind of ambiguous space inside or outside. Often it's kind of, you think it's outside of a building, and you're digging pit after pit after pit, pits cutting pits, and it's like, right. oh my God, this is so complicated, and there's all these pits, and what are they using <laughs> all these pits for? And it's like, oh yeah. Maybe they're constantly, you know, cutting a pit, filling it up, cutting a new pit, yeah. filling it up, and you get all of these pit lines and everything else, and you don't know what's going on, and it's in indeterminate outdoor space, and it's like, yeah, right. We're oh, I think really we just had a serious out. revelation here. That yeah, is exactly. Like, yeah, because you do have to clean out a cesspit every so often, or right. move it to another place. So maybe they're cleaning these things out or recutting and whatever. And I think, oh my God, I think you totally revolutionized how I'm gonna think about. Well, if nothing else, at least it's some kind of an explanation to start with, as opposed to just saying, yeah, I dug a 10 by 10 meter area with 15 pits in it and who knows what those pits were. And it's like, well, that that doesn't, that's not very, uh, yeah. you know, that's not a very good explanation. <laughs> right, that's not hypothetical deductive. Oh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but who's, so who's digging the pits? I wonder, I wonder if there was a, if there were casts as there are in <laughs> other parts of the world for? today, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. The, the, hey, the you're on, go, go dig a pit. <laughs> right. gotta see. If you're going to fill gotta the pit, you're going to dig a, the pit. a donkey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, it, does that make you pure or impure? Is, wow. the, is the filling the pit, the using the pit? Can we bring, let, can I get Mary Douglas on the, on the phone here and ask her, you know, what are there good kinds of dirt? There are bad kinds of dirt, good impurity, bad impurity. Obviously by the, you know, second temple period and certainly, you know, um, by the first centuries BCE, CE, this issue of purity becomes a huge issue, right? Yeah. And so we've got all the stuff with the Essenes and we've got all of you know, the issues with Qumran and then all of the Mishnaic stuff. Right. So purity obviously right. I, factors into it. And you're making, you're making household vessels out of stone. <laughs> right. Because they can be scrubbed to within an inch of their life. Right, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, stone is the vitrified you know, uh, glassware of, of, uh, of antiquity, you know? Right. It, yeah. it can yeah. be made pure. Yeah. <laughs> don't, be, don't be doing that in, in the stoneware, kid. <laughs> Take it outside to the pit like we showed you. But right. the stuff on the mantle, just so, leave that. So by-, by So in the case of- Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask you, so, did you find it, uh, did you agree with um, the interpretation that they used, to, at Lachish, they used the toilet to desecrate this uh, small little shrine found in the gateway? I kind of like it. I thought, sure, sure, why not? But there are other explanations, obviously, that, you know, they're, they're just doing a big, they're doing a big reno and the contractors <laughs> tossing stuff. Um, you know, the, 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 the connection with an historical event, which, which we've discussed in the past and which, on which we may or may not agree, um, 
is attractive, but kind of unprovable without more evidence. I was just wondering, I, I, I thought it was an interesting thing. I think the idea of desecrating, you know, desecration has a long history. Um, all sorts of objects that get wounded or broken and, and put into a pit. We all know this uh, very well from the Bronze and Iron Ages. But what I found unconvincing was that the altars themselves were not irreparably damaged. So if they were going to desecrate a little shrine, sure, put a, uh, you know, put a toilet in it. I think that makes a very bold point that everyone will get. But why on earth wouldn't they in some way- Knock a horn off the altar. Yeah. Right. So that's right. Well, right. the other thing I was thinking, but I, I, I need to look at more. I don't think it's going to hold up because um, just of how things are actually situated in situ. Um, the, um, you know, the gate was always the gate area was always used for judging and other important functions. So maybe, you know, maybe you needed maybe the judges needed to go. Um, but well, uh, talk about lack of privacy. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <right. true. laughs> The was supposed to be some kind of classy city. You should have seen it. I walked through the gate and there's this, there's a prophet taking a dump. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, again, I, I I'm not sure that maybe was... It's the, maybe it's the equivalent of, uh, of a rest stop on the Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Joyce Carol Oates um, rest stop and you, you know, you just go in and you're on your way up to the city. You've had a long, you've had a long trip. See, but, now if you... I'll, I'll just say this. If, if you were a real Jersey guy, you would have said Molly Pitcher, because that's the rest stop in New Jersey, the name of the rest stop in New Jersey that always gets referenced, the Molly Pitcher. Okay. Well, I, 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 I was thinking of the, the, the three saddest words in the English language. So. Isn't there like Guy Lombardi? Can, that's not quite right, but that's another rest stop. I don't know. Vince, Vince Lombardi is the last. Right. right. That was... Uh, Right, that's, yeah. <laughs> so if we look at some of the locations of these Iron Age, of these Iron Age II um, toilets. We've got four at City of David. So that's, that speaks volumes right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. We've got one at Lachish, one at Ramat Rachel. So um, that's, again, you know, a, an elite administrative center. Right. One in Amman. One in Bucera. Uh, so the one at Bucera also speaks to this kind of issue that you raised in that uh, wonderful uh, Iron Age One article that you wrote about uh, pure or whatever you know, pure polities and how these little how these little kingdoms all emulated them, each other. So clearly, I am the king. Please come in and see my palace. <laughs> yeah. you see my toilet. <laughs> I, I think that's an important point. I think that this is another one of these markers, and you talked about all of them as a whole suite of things that the secondary states all needed to do to assert their eliteness and to assert their legitimacy and authenticity as an actual kingdom. And I think that this, this uh, toilet business fits right into that, that these kings that of these tiny little podunk secondary states needed to have a stone toilet in order to sort of, you know, belong to civilized society of the day. Yeah. yeah. And, like uh, and, and so, you and that I think has don't been- have, You don't have one of those? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or more like, where did you get one of those? Can I, you know, where right. can I get one of those? And, and that, and the, you know, 
you right. know, the, right. No, I think, I think, and, oh, I, I can set you up. I got a guy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> right. And, and uh, just tell me where you want it delivered. I mean, I, and I think there's actually, you can almost, almost put some biblical weight behind this. I forget which king of Israel was so impressed by the king of Damascus's altar, I think it was, that he had one commissioned exactly like it for Samaria. And yeah, um, yeah so, so what the Bible isn't telling us is he also really liked the bathroom <laughs> and had one of those put in. <clears throat> right. Yeah. But I think it would fit very neatly into that whole concept that you uh, explicated in your article on uh, on these secondary states. Well, it, it's interesting because there's a whole, you can then begin to imagine a whole series of less visible or even invisible kinds of um, features and behaviors that go with being a super classy Iron Age elite type of a guy. The way you dress, the things you eat, uh, what you do after you eat, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sumptuary, sumptuary things. So, but we've we've only really registered the fancy schmancy stuff like the architecture, the architectural design, certain kinds of dressing of the stone, um, ivory. Everybody loves ivory. Everybody knows that ivory is like a super, super classy thing. <laughs> Gold, you know, jewelry and stuff like that. But there's, there's lots of other things, um, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, oh, and sumptuary stuff, you know, right. this whole thing that just came out the other day with uh, Erez Ben Yosef and his purple. Right. Purple right. 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 And, and it's, you know, these, these toilets are monumental. I mean, they're big and heavy and solid. Right. No, it's a, it's a, this yeah, is know, it's a monumentality. It, you know, no less monumental than a, than a, a beautiful gate or anything else. Um, just it's, in, in it's that different domain that you had mentioned. It's in the private sector. It's in the private world, but just as monumental yeah. and just as important as having a, uh, as having a, nice, a, you know, four, a nice gate, a four inch gate right. and a throne right. and anything else. Yeah, right. exactly. Then there's, there's also the, we brought this up earlier, but the, the idea of, of perishable, what if some really nice ones were made of wood? What if the nicest ones were made of wood? Um, so maybe that's why we're only finding a few. Maybe there were in every city, every kinglet had to have one, but uh, but they were getting their their carpenters to make them, not their stonemasons. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, yeah. I think, I yeah, it's certainly possible. I mean, that's mere speculation, but yeah. Well, I, I would think that there has to be something to go with these very kind of cold. Um, limestone rocks <laughs> <laughs> there has to be armrests there has to be headrests there has to be <laughs> you know, carved accoutrements uh, there has to be like a that. toilet paper holder and we didn't even get into discussing <laughs> uh, uh this aspect of things <laughs> no we we haven't we haven't papyrus would have been a, a, a very rare thing in in the southern levant so i don't think they're you know i don't think they're ripping up uh but potsherds are not. But potsherds are not. Exactly, and that's oh that's another, another thing, right? <laughs> right. Um, and 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 here I'll here I'll remind both of you of all the potsherds back at Telmikda that had <laughs> that had those kind of chipped edges that oh they're being prepared to to be ostraca. Well, maybe they're maybe they're being prepared to send another message. Rather than <laughs> being, no, actually. 
then in that case, you would have expected to find small deposits of sherds, like in City of David, where they found a cesspit. Wouldn't you then also expect- Right, inside, yeah, that's right. Has, has anyone like looked that. for them though? I mean, maybe they're there and they haven't been retrieved. Well, I think that in the case of the City of David, the one near Area G, they excavated that okay. with a lot of, uh, you know, very carefully and attendant to the fact that they might have deposits of material that could, you know, I see. Yeah. Okay. Was, okay. They probably tried it at some point, and then yeah. kids were out there whipping the things <laughs> across the neighborhood, and they said, "No, we're going to just eliminate this practice completely. Right. It's, right. We're, it's banned. Forget yeah. it." And you it was too much of a of a literal shit show. So <laughs> really, everything's yeah. flying every which way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. All right. Enough on that. <laughs> but um. I, well, so we're, so we're, what are what are our alternatives? There's you got There's Romans vegetables on a stick, on a stick. Yeah. and this is obviously one of the things that uh, that vinegar is good for. You got your left hand. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, uh, let's not let's not be too fancy. Much of the much of planet Earth, for most of its history, yeah, has, uh, right. Um, taking care of this in the most uh, efficient and uh, least wasteful way possible. Right. And then do you assume a source of running water for after you've done that? Or do you assume like a mat to wipe on? Or I don't know. I would like to assume some of those things. Right. And, you know, there is the famous drainage gezer and we can anticipate, right. you know, we know that there are certain kinds of drainage systems, but if you look at Iron Age, Southern Levantine cities compared to other, like Mesopotamia and Egypt, and certainly yeah. the Indus, we do not get the kind of plumbing, in, in, internal plumbing systems that we get in these other places. And right. that also just be, kind of bespeaks this issue of, of uh, you know, sort of less, less sophisticated urban space in general. Right, that's true. Uh, and water is so precious in these cities, I would think that you're not gonna really be wasting it on things that on the surface don't look necessary, even though you're shortening your life by a but lot. But that's a counterintuitive argument because in the case of the Indus, in which water was even more of a problem than in the Southern Levant, you know, you have, the, uh, you have all sorts of things going on with water uh, even though the evaporation rate of water was so extraordinarily high. So I don't, I think that's more of an engineering issue okay. as opposed to a, an issue of the marginal environment. I think, I don't think that would have been a problem. No, I think that, I think it, it speaks to this issue that we've all sort of, you know, ruminated about for the last God knows how long, which is that, you know, it's a smaller scale society. Yeah. And they, the elites try to imitate the um, most sophisticated places to which they know, but that ultimately the scale and uh, sophistication of the society is of a different tier or yeah. realm. Yeah, yeah. And that, that might indicate that. Right, now that's a very important point. I wonder why there are no Phoenician toilets. Well, Say what? Why aren't there any Phoenician toilets? I mean, everything, right? So all of this emulation in the Southern Levant is it faces Phoenicia. The Phoenicians do everything first. The yeah. Phoenicians are the most, yeah. uh, you know, expansive in terms of yeah. uh, architectural styles and all sorts of style. So one would have expected from Sarepta, from someplace, 
from any number of late Bronze Age cities in, in, in the, what comes, becomes Phoenicia to have found a toilet or two. Right. I know, I think it's Byblos that has this really sophisticated drainage system going into the harbor. I'm pretty sure it's Byblos. Right. Late bronze, maybe. So maybe iron, I don't remember. But yeah, so maybe, I mean, I have how, and, and then there's also the issue with some Phoenician cities that, you know, archaeology is limited in terms of there's modern structures over it, which obviously is an issue everywhere. Right, but, but, well, but, but then you go to... Okay. It, then you go to to uh, Phoenician sites overseas, right? And right. The, the settlements uh, and are there toilets there? Uh, if there are, it, they haven't really registered yeah. in the same way, right? But you know, there's another aspect to this that just occurred to me. Another another aspect. <laughs> so either they're going in pots in their houses, or they're doing it in the street or they're going outside of the settlement. But if they're going outside, this, well, th this is creating, this, this, shapes, this shapes your day. This <laughs> creates um, constraints on, on time. Right. And so does this mean, would this imply that every morning at, uh, at half past <laughs> whatever, everybody gets up and goes out <laughs> to whatever part of the, their fields or outside the city walls. And then, then they come back in and, and in the middle of the day or late that, you know, what, you know, right. there's, a, there's a routine to having to do this. Right. And it shapes your, it shapes your, your day. And it also shapes your sense, your use of space. If you have, if you can't just, you know, walk into the, into the next room and right. do it. I want to, so this brings up one of my, my favorite little pet peeves. Uh, and it's an issue that uh, Gersta Ostrom brought up a long time ago. That's sort of been underlooked or overlooked rather. And that is how many people are actually living in these cities, especially in the Iron Age two and three. Are these actual cities with large domestic areas? And in some cases, yes, Megiddo for instance. But in lots of other examples, these iron two and three cities are really just administrative centers. They're small, they're fortified, but what we find inside of them is a lot of non-domestic space, in which case you might not have that, that sort of early morning traffic jam in and out of the city because there are- That's a, why there's a toilet in the gate. That's why there's a toilet in the gate, but there's, it, it's I'm got a small- it's got a small population. Right. And so you don't have that whole kind of a situation because the population is relatively small with most people living outside of the city. And those people who live outside, and obviously the backbone of the society is an agrarian society, yeah. they, they can go anywhere. As right. John said in, I forget which movie, you know, I love the outdoors. It's one big outhouse. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's, you know, when you go camping, there's great freedom in it, you know, you yeah. can go anywhere. Yeah, no, that's true. And all your field workers, that's clearly what they're they're doing. Maybe they're just going off to the side, or maybe they're not even bothering to go off to the side. Um, you know, I've 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 been with people, males, who um, you know, when we're working in the field, actually don't have any problem going right there, right in front of me. Right right. Yeah, yeah. I had a uh, I had a faculty member from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary 
take a leak in the square. <laughs> this was a Gezer. Okay. <laughs> and that was an extraordinary moment. <laughs> I didn't really know what to say to him. When I pointed out we don't usually do that in a square, he said, don't worry, it'll dry. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So this sort of lead me, led me indirectly to a totally different thought, but but not so different, really. Um, the fact that at least um, some bodily fluids can be used, th that is pee, can be used um, in industry, like, like um, the ammonia of it has been used um, to wash clothes, in tanning right. industries. So, so are people's pee being collected as? Well, night, uh, night soil is being collected for fertilizer. There's um, that too. In, in all sorts of societies, uh, right. probably up until this day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, for so so maybe in fact they're collecting. Maybe it's a valuable natural resource, and they're collecting <laughs> as much of it as possible, and they're right. using it right. as efficiently as possible. And we in our in our disposable, wasteful mentality right. are just flushing all this useful <laughs> stuff away. Right. right, and I mean, this leads. This is all just rampant speculation on my part. But you know, maybe the cities weren't quite as dirty and smelly as we think they are because maybe they're not taking this valuable pee every morning and just throwing it in the middle of the street. Maybe they're collecting it and sending it over to the wash house or, or whatever. Um, you're, so tanning with it. They're what? You're 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 tanning leather yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And gives a whole new meaning to the term tanning bed. And all the all the other stuff is being collected and taken out to the fields, and you're you're and you're manuring your your asparagus with it. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Which to, the to, and sounds of antiquity brought right. to you by whatever the name of our show is. I don't even know the name of this podcast. This week in the ancient Near East. And how yeah. is week spelled? And at this point, I will I will say everybody should should go to Facebook and search for our Facebook page this week in the ancient Near East and like it so you can get automatic updates every time we post a new episode. <laughs> right, and go to go to our Patreon page and and be, become our sponsor. Yes. Particularly if you're if you're uh, you know a lover of the ancient Near East or um, if you just feel an affection for it. Or yeah. if you just want to take a dump on the ancient Near East. <laughs> right, which we've been accused of doing. Um, <laughs> but that, so back, back to this, this issue of, of reusing. So before I was talking about the open bowls um, as bedpans, but again, <laughs> when we're talking about men and if we're talking about collecting urine, possibly some closed vessels could also be used or reused for, for urine collection. And I think I've said enough. I'm really squeamish about talking about these things. Right, right. Right, you need you need you know particular aim to get into the. Right, you know. I was thinking about like hospital uh, urinal type thing. I don't think men would have any compunction about just peeing wherever they need to pee. Right. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't think I, I don't think that would come into play so much. Make a mess, people. not make a mess. Yeah, just go out into an alleyway and and you know. Men I don't can pee in Coke bottles in the car on long trips. Women can't. So. Just saying. <laughs> okay, I don't have a response for that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
it's uh yeah it's, you know it's a true as it's as true a thing that's ever been said on one of these podcasts probably. right right well thank you i try well i look forward to the discovery of more of these stone toilets i think uh that would be one way to really you know flush out all of the <laughs> finer points of iron age life <laughs> yeah well, well said and and again, the the way to get at this uh, might be from the bottom up, from uh, <laughs> from microarchaeology, um, looking at you know the genetic level, the DNA level, the the micro remains level, and then you know going up to well this this pit, this object is is obviously connected with this this inescapable part of human life right yeah we've been editing out because we're we we're squeamish and we lack imagination until until now yeah all right all right and on that note glad that we've cleared this up (laughs) (laughs) very good all right i probably should run i should run to the bathroom before i go (laughs) well i'm glad we could get to the bottom of that And as always, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel for composing our theme music. And of course, we thank our sponsor, the Passaic River Extension Railroad, now with convenient trains twice a day between Montclair and Nutley. To get in touch, leave us a comment, send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.